Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. I can't use public transportation after 7 p.m. I can't be brutally honest when you slide into my DMs. I can't go to the club just to dance with my friends, and I can't ever leave my drink unattended, but it You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle and the voice you just heard there was Lindsay Lab Stewart, a Texan singer who this week went viral with her satirical song called A Scary Time, which she sings beautifully, accompanied by her trusty ukulele, about how difficult it is to be male at the moment. In the aftermath of the Brett Kavanaugh controversy and on the day that is International Day of the Girl, I think this is a brilliant uh, song to start the podcast off with. It was inspired by Donald Trump's remark that this is a very scary time for young men in America. And it's already been viewed more than 10 million times. People like Mark Ruffalo and Matthew Modine have praised it. Um, The singer was also a principal at Houston Metropolitan Dance Company and has taught dance at Texas State University. So she's multi-talented. But um, yeah, that catchy chorus, it sure is a scary time for boys. It was irresistible this week and we had a story about it in the Irish Times. Um, It finishes with a kind of mock realisation that maybe it actually isn't that scary a time for boys and that people need to really think about uh, what's going on at the moment. It's a very scary time in lots of respects, but this song has made millions smile while making a very serious point. Yes, it is International Day of the Girl. We want to wish all our listeners a happy International Day of the Girl. Um, And I got a piece in from a young woman called Jigyasa Sharma, who's from India. She's 26 and she wrote a very short but really affecting piece. And I'd just like to read a bit of it here today, um, just for the day that's in it. She says, On International Day of the Girl, I would like to share some events of my childhood. Growing up in New Delhi, India, I was sexually abused at the age of seven by a bus driver I trusted. I was 11 when a man put his hands down my pants in a train packed with people. I was 18 when my private pictures were leaked from my own phone and spread through my university. I am now 26 and have faced harassment through all stages of my life by men of all ages. Since I was a child, I felt the need to cover myself with appropriate clothing. I was schooled on how a good girl needs to be covered all the time, something I never questioned as a child. My father would get anxious the day I would not return home before 8pm. And it wasn't just me, my whole family lived with fear. When I have conversations with my female friends, we exchange stories of sexual harassment, as if we're talking about something regular, almost mundane, because that's how it often happens. I never raised my voice against all I went through, thinking it would bring shame to my family. I believed it was my fault because I was a girl or I was made to believe that I might have been asking for it. Being catcalled in Paris, seeing brides having a price in Tanzania, meeting boys in Dublin violating consent. I moved places. I moved countries. I found gender-based violence everywhere. 
And she finishes that piece. It goes on and it's really worth a read. It's on irishtimes.com at the moment if you get a chance to look. But she says, as I have travelled, I have seen how these issues affect women everywhere. All girls should grow up in a world where they have a voice in decisions that affect their lives. Everyone has a role to play in closing the gap between what girls are capable of and what they are allowed to do and be. Women and girls regularly endure harassment in their daily lives, which has terrible consequences for their future. Girls can and do lead change, but they need allies. Everyone needs to understand what constitutes gender discrimination, their role in it and how they can eliminate it. It took me a long while to come out and talk about all that I've gone through. I hope my story contributes to the movement and supports all those women who can't imagine outing their abusers because of the fear of victim shaming. And that's by Jigyasa Sharma. She's from New Delhi in India and she's currently working with Plan International Ireland in Dublin. And we just thought it was good to bring you that on this International Day of the Girl. And we couldn't let this episode pass without mentioning Emma Vikvahuna, who was, as you'll know, one of the women affected by the cervical check controversy. And she died this week at the age of 37. The mother of five children had been diagnosed with terminal cancer earlier this year. She was one of the 221 women with cervical cancer found to have received incorrect smear tests during a clinical audit of past tests by the cervical check screening programme. Emma was brave. And she was outspoken to the end. And in a final gesture in her campaign for justice, she actually asked that her funeral cortege go past the Dáil and the Department of Health. And I'm just going to read a few lines from a really moving piece written for this paper by Peter Murta. As Emma Vikvahuna's plain wooden coffin was carried into St Mary's Pro Cathedral in Dublin for her funeral mass on Wednesday, Barry Kerr's Illin Pipes played Brook na Carragabonia, the sweet notes of the West Kerry air filling the interior of that great church. And the melody's unsung words could hardly have been more appropriate. Her skin is fairer than the swan on the wave, says the first verse, from the top of her head to the soles of her shoes. She is the stately woman that broke my heart and she left my mind sorrowful. There wasn't a soul inside the church who did not, throughout the funeral, see Emma in their mind's eye, a strikingly beautiful woman in her red dress with a razor-sharp mind. I think anyone who saw that funeral cortege go through Dublin would have been really moved. She was a powerhouse, uh, like Vicky Phelan, like all those women who speak out and speak truth to power. Um, And we just wanted to pay tribute to Emma today and we're thinking of her families and all those close to her. And she really did, and that phrase is probably overused, but Emma Vikvahuna did the state some serious service. You might have heard of a new collection of essays called Feminists Don't Wear Pink brackets and other lies, close brackets. It's an urgent and empowering collection of new writing from a variety of women, some very well known, some not well known, teenage activists and Hollywood stars. All the royalties to the book are going to Girl Up, which is an initiative hosted by the United Nations Foundation. So we thought on International Day of the Girl, it would be good to bring you a conversation I had with the curator and editor of that book, who's Scarlett Curtis. She's a young activist and she gathered, she has quite a lot of famous friends due to her parentage, which we talk about in this episode. Um, And she gathered them all together to write uh, 
really funny, wise, moving, emotional pieces about feminism, about how women feel about feminism and also how feminism has changed and the different journeys that women go on. So Scarlett uh, curated it and one of the people who wrote an essay in it is an Irish woman you'll be familiar with called Ivana Lynch who played Luna Lovegood in Harry Potter. So the two of them came on to talk to me about the book uh, about why Scarlett wanted to put a book like this together, about a recent event in Topshop, which uh, showed that the patriarchy is still very much alive and well. Um, they're really strong, inspiring women, and we had a great conversation about Feminists Don't Wear Pink, and here it is. Hope you enjoy it. Um, Scarlett, I'll come to you first just to ask about why you put this book together. It's called Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, um, and it's a it's an incredible book full of really funny, wise, brilliant words about feminism of all kinds. And um, so I'm just you must have been really motivated to put it together. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, yeah, I think I've been, you know, I've spent the last three or four years working within kind of activism circles and feminism circles and organising campaigns. And I felt like I've read so many incredible books about feminism. And there's obviously so much out there. And it's very overwhelming to try and, you know, think of what you could possibly add to that. But I felt like there wasn't really anything out there in book form that really, you know, depicted what young feminism is today and I've spent the last few years working with some teenage feminists and teenage activists who are so incredible and have so much to say and their feminism is so natural and nuanced you know they wear like you know tiny mini skirts and tons of makeup but then spend their weekends at protests and Mm. I wanted to make something that just collected together the stories of amazing women that I knew or knew of in one place to really show that feminism, you know, if you didn't maybe didn't think you were a feminist before, like feminism can be anything and it can look like so many different things. Uh, and yeah, we thought it'd be the perfect place to do that. Well, I think you've really achieved that definitely just from looking through the breadth of the content that's in there. And we're going to talk about that a bit later. But first of all, to, to mark the launch of the book, you had a small pop up in Topshop on Oxford Street and it yes. went a bit wrong. So maybe you could tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so we, um, one of our, like, you know, the real goal of this book has been to try and get girls who maybe didn't think they were feminists and are maybe quite young to realise that feminism might be something they wanted to get involved in. So we thought, you know, a pop-up on Topshop, in Topshop, is the perfect place to do that. It was in the Oxford Street store. You know, there were obviously a bit of, like, worries about going in somewhere like that, but we just wanted to reach people that aren't in the feminist bubble and you know I thought teenage girls shopping for clothes is the perfect place um so we had the pop-up and then after just a few hours of it being up it unfortunately got taken down um and it's still you know it's still a bit confusing why it happened and no one fully knows but it was it really shook up our team and everyone that had been involved like we've been planning this for months and kind of the whole of our PR budget um had gone into this and they've since donated uh £25,000 to Girl Up, who are the charity that we've partnered with on this project, which is amazing. But I think the other issue is that, you know, if this was taken down because they thought it was too controversial or that they were going to get backlash, you know, this is a shop that has made its fortune and a man who's made his fortune from selling to 15-year-old girls and, like, defining what it means to them to be a woman. And if that brand and that man is thinking that feminism is too controversial, then it's definitely something we need to address as a society because, you know, Topshop's basically where I grew up 
and the idea that someone like that wouldn't endorse a book like mm. this feels a bit crazy. The man we should mention is Philip Green, who is obviously the CEO of Topshop. And you, you have said that it's sort of like, even though we feel like a lot is changing in feminism and we're, and we're getting a lot of wins and we're gaining in so many ways, it was kind of a very big example of how the patriarchy can kind of dictate what goes on. Completely. And I think, you know, this was the weekend that Kavanaugh got his seat confirmed in America. And I've spent the last four years living in America. So I was very involved in that. And it did just feel like a weekend where you're like, oh, God, are we all just out here kind of shouting on Twitter? But the real men in power are just taking things away from women Mm. one by one. Well, it is good that they made a donation, but not very cool that feminism was something that was seen as too dirty to have on the floor of Topshop. Because presumably a lot of the clothes in Topshop have a lot of feminist messages on them. Oh my gosh, there's so (laughs) many feminist messages. And I was being sent them all weekend. They've got like jeans that say fake news on and, (laughs) you know, more feminist t-shirts than you can count. So I think it is a bit crazy. And I think we've all got to remember that there's still definitely a fight to be fought. You know, I was asked, I was on Women's Hour the other day and Jenny Murray asked if I really thought feminism was controversial anymore and why did we say, you know, the F word on the front of the book? And it's like, um, yeah, it is still controversial. We need to remember that. You know, we need to remember that we haven't won yet. No, I think you're totally right. It is. And as as long as people are being dismissive and uh, slagging it off, then it's something to, to fight for and to try and mm. make. But what I love about the book, and we'll talk about some of the stuff in it now, is that you, you sort of alluded to it earlier. What it really does is it says that you're, being a feminist is not this one thing. And I think there's there's a there's a good essay. I mean, actually, I love Bridget Jones. Helen Fielding wrote a piece for it. Because I I sort of, I'd be more of an age of, uh, of Bridget. And I kind of, she looks back in her old diaries and she's looking back at feminism uh, through the eyes of someone who's kind of lived a bit. And she she really outlines how much it's changed and, and how people like Germaine Greer and other things, it felt like you were being talked at and told how to be a feminist. And what your book mm. shows is that feminism is much more individual much more personal and much more fluid um, in a way than, than it has been. And Ivana, I think your um, essay really shows that too. Now it starts at a very, I love the way it starts. It basically starts with you having your period in an important meeting <laughs> on a couch, worried about leaking onto the sofa because you're wearing those period knickers, which I haven't tried yep. myself. I have to say, I'd be afraid to like you were. But I... I, I, <laughs> I, I, I do they? They did work because you looked back at the it end of the meeting and there was no blood on the sofa, which is good. Yeah, yeah. My brother actually sent me a picture of him and my dad simultaneously reading the article, and I was like, "Oh, oh God!" <laughs> but it's. I think. I mean, I. I just want to like the re- one reason I started with that is like I just want to be able to talk about these things and not be ashamed anymore. Because, and that's something I love about the book, Scarlett. Like you're talking about them. Um, well, there was one essay where you talk about female masturbation. It's like all these things we're we're so scared and ashamed to talk about. I remember being so ashamed when I got my period and just feeling like I have to hide it. I have to like send my uh, older sister into the into the chemist to get the whole all the materials. And it's just like I think the shame about that that's connected to being a woman is is worse than the actual experience, you know, mm. of getting or anything. Um, it's really interesting to hear you say that because I'll be 20 years older than you guys and you know I sort of have this idea that um, younger women it's all gone but even to hear you say that Vanna that, that, that still exists it's really interesting. No I was mortified and that's <laughs> I've actually been in so many situations I've been on like red carpets when I wasn't prepared mm. and it's because I like ignore the fact I'm like I'm I'm above this or something or I don't want to talk about this I don't want to acknowledge this part of um I suppose being a woman 
and it, I, I think over the past few years, I read a few, there's, I don't know, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I read a few like amazing books by this woman called Lisa Lister, who talks about like, um, how like the menstrual cycle is kind of a reflection of the seasons and how you need to work with it and how like the patriarchy has convinced us that we just need to like soldier on and ignore our bodies and that is when our bodies kind of push back yeah. and anyway those books really like educate me about myself and educate me how like how the patriarchy has forced me to ignore this amazing part of being a woman I love that this is now going to sound really insane and feminist hippy dippy um, we love a bit of that I, on the women's podcast Scarlet Gophers I, <laughs> I did this course at university which was all about like the history of media and we began with the invention of time and invention of clocks and um, our teacher was kind of trying to argue that men and male monks had invented the clock and invented time because women didn't actually need a clock because we had the a lot of things within our body that kind of regulated mm. time and you know we knew when a month was and mm. if you were breastfeeding you knew when to breastfeed because your milk just came in and and then the men were kind of jealous because they didn't have any way of monitoring time wow. so they invented clocks it's really fascinating I love that theory but isn't it interesting you know when you have your period like you are so much more in tune with your body um than any other time in terms of like even your appetite and what you what you know you need to eat or drink you know that your body's yeah, really completely. saying I'm really awake here and I'm really alive to what I need and that is something that you're not you're not told about periods in that way that it's this kind of like almost super sleuth inside you telling you things that are really intuitive and really important you're, it's seen like you say Ivana as something that has to be kind of oh we'll just get through this and we'll pretend it's not happening and, and let yeah. make sure nobody knows about it which just is uh, so counterintuitive to something that's really celebratory and really beautiful. And also yeah. it's got really bad consequences. We did a campaign at the end of last year around period poverty. And, you know, the reason period poverty hasn't been addressed is because all the girls that were living in period poverty were too ashamed to tell anyone. So whereas if they hadn't had food or hadn't had, you know, school yeah. books or trainers, they'd have told people straight away. But this issue has kind of only just been researched because it's been so shameful. Mm. Um, Ivana, the other part of your essay is, is is about kind of your own struggle with calling yourself a feminist or knowing whether you are a feminist because you like things like, you know, so-called girly things or makeup or, you know, wearing nice clothes. And there was an idea that if you're a feminist, you can't like those things. Can you tell me a little bit about that kind of battle you had inside you? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, a lot of it was actually motivated by uh, Scarlett and Holly coming to me and asked me to write this because I was like I'm not not a feminist I'm 100% a feminist but I just didn't find many people who I identified with and in in the feminist like the you know the the typical figures in the feminist movements and I was like all the women who've really inspired me and who I look up to have like been very feminine and very much like I say I just say that in like stereotypical way like obviously there's a lot of definitions for that but I just felt like Oh, in order to be feminist, I had to sacrifice my my girliness, or I had to kind of hide it or cover it up and, and be tough. And at the same time, I was like, "That's just not that's just not me." And and I I think I get a bit upset when when yeah when people make femininity the enemy of feminism, um, just because I I see it as like a, an attribute. I see that as something that we should be proud of, and 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 something like you know I don't think all this all this work to ignore the fact that like we are different from men like chemically a lot of ways and we shouldn't be trying to be the same of them in the fight for equality um 
And just like, you know, also things like, um, I mentioned her in the essay, but Ingrid Newkirk, the founder of PETA, she's a real inspiration and role model, role model to me. Um, and I've met her and interviewed her and, and just followed her work. And like, she's very controversial. She does a lot of things like that, that are shocking, but she wants to shock because she wants to get your attention because she wants her message out there. Like, that's her way of doing it. And it's, it's not the way I would do things if I was running an organization, organization like hers, but it's like, She's living her truth. She's doing exactly what she intends to. And I'm like, I don't understand why so many people consider her like, you know, an anti-feminist mm. when she's a woman who's heading this organization. And as I said in my essay, like my friend who I work with on this podcast, he calls her his boss's 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 boss. It's like mm. feminist than that. So I just wanted to like talk about how it's it's more nuanced than than just being a tough, feisty woman. And like, who's who's not to say that a woman who decides to stay home and mind her children and give all her energy and love to her family, if that's her choice, if that's what she wants to do, she's a feminist too. And I, I don't know, this idea that we have to be all things mm. that men are definition. No, I think that's a really good point because because Scarlett, um, that thing about I think in the past and even up to even it happens now where feminists are pitted against each other like you're not allowed in because you're not doing this right and you're not doing that right and I think for me flicking through your book it's like you're really trying to, to get rid of that idea that it has to be a battleground. Completely. I think to me that has almost been the biggest enemy of the feminist movement over the past 20 years. And I think one of the reasons we've seen more of an uprising is because people are realising that we just can't fight against each other. Like, as far as I can see, if you say you're a feminist, like, you're on your side. I don't care what you do. And I also think what's so interesting about what you were saying, Ivana, is like, if this movement has been fighting to give women freedom of choice, surely that choice should include, you know, wearing pink party dresses and tons of makeup and obsessing about boys like I think it's so actually antithetical to everything everyone's been fighting for that when people say that um it's it was really interesting what you were saying about um when we asked you to do the book because you know we called the book feminists don't wear pink and other lies and obviously the lies on the front cover are kind of don't wear pink and don't wear makeup and don't like jokes and we were kind of trying to smash some of those lies but the biggest thing that ended up coming to light was so many people like you who we asked to do the book replied being like I, I don't know if I'm feminist enough to mm -hmm. write something for this book and it turns I think that's the biggest lie that we've been told that you need some kind of like degree or mm -hmm. qualification or dress code in order to qualify as a feminist and it's just not true like I think you can be a mum you can not be a mum you can work you can not work it's just what you believe in yeah I think that's and that's what I think well, it's wonderful to see young people seeing like that because it can be very divisive and very isolating mm. if like Ivana you don't feel like you live up to um, the sort of ideal feminist. You, you had a similar a bit of a similar journey yourself Scarlett in terms of feeling like that uh, a feminist was one thing and that you didn't fit into that. What was your own sort of uh, st story into it? Completely. I think, you know, I come from a very privileged life and a privileged family. And Can we talk about I your family for just one minute, just so people yeah. know? <laughs> I don't want to go on about them, but you know. No, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah. So my mum is the amazing Emma Freud. She is amazing. Director of Red Nose Day. 
Um, and then my dad, Richard Curtis, and he's also works for Red Nose Day and then has written a lot of films, which, to be honest, don't have the best female characters. Wow. Something we discuss quite a lot. Okay, <laughs> interesting. So Richard Curtis, obviously, all those amazing yeah. films, um, including one of my favourite films, which gets slagged a lot. And I don't uh, I don't know why. Well, I do know why, because Lindy West wrote a big critique of it called um, Love Actually. I just think it's a I brilliant. Love I love it at Christmas. It's I my favourite thing to do. And I, and I have friends agree. who just think I'm mad for liking it. But anyway, what can I say? I know. Um, every time I tell him that his female characters aren't that good, he goes, I wrote The Vicar of Dibley. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, actually, that is a very good comeback. Oh, I mean, The Vicar of you Dibley. Get for that. What I a know. woman. And, and Emma Thompson's character in Love Actually is pretty amazing as well. Yeah, OK, we'll let him wait. But anyway, you, you grew up yeah. in quite a privileged anyway, way, I think exposed to a lot of things. Yeah, and but I also think, you know, we can't deny that women that are white and come able-bodied and come from privilege, like don't experience a lot of struggle often until maybe something happens to make them realize. And I was exactly the same as you. I thought I'm very girly. I've got bright pink hair. I feel much more comfortable in a party dress than I do in a pair of jeans. And I thought that I didn't qualify to be a feminist. I thought that it meant that I couldn't wear the things I wanted to wear or wear makeup or shave my legs. And it was actually only until I, I got really ill when I was 14 and was out of school uh, and in a wheelchair and went through a lot of really bad times with a lot of male doctors. And and it was really that experience that made me realise, you know, that it, I wouldn't have been treated that way if, if I was a man. And also if my mum wasn't the one that came to all the doctor's appointments with me. And um, I think it was really that. And then obviously I was off school and didn't have anything to do except read mad feminist literature like mm-hmm. a crazy person so it was really that experience that made me realize um just how powerful and incredible this movement can be and really helped me actually understand quite a tough time I was going through in a way I don't think I would have if, if I hadn't really unpicked that it, it wasn't happening to me because it was my fault you know yeah you, you really did have a difficult time you you'd a standard back operation for scoliosis and it just it it meant that you had years of pain really and you were kind mm. of very isolated as you say and had to be on your own quite a dark time and um, how are you now in terms of all of that so it, it we ended up figuring out after three years figuring out what was wrong um and I'm completely physically fine now although it did lead to I had about two or three years of really bad PTSD um after I got physically better so <laughs> first my body then my brain um but no I'm doing a lot a lot better now and I have to say you have a lot of famous friends Scarlett is it okay to say that <laughs> one of whom is a very dear to all of our hearts in Ireland Saoirse Ronan and yeah it, it was... I actually miss her so much right now and talking to you both <laughs> on the phone I'm like I miss Irish voices oh that's lovely because you know it was great when uh when she was nominated for the Oscar I think she was in your house or something because I saw her on Instagram yeah, and, and you did a lovely su- sort of surprise thing for her and everything well, it was quite terrifying because she had kind of wanted to ignore the day and I'd bought all these balloons and cakes, but I was going to have to like throw them all away if she didn't get nominated. Oh God, um, that would have been a waste. Luckily she was. <laughs> yeah, it looks lovely. I mean, she has a piece in the book as well. Um, and what are some of your favourite, uh, both of you actually, your favourite parts of the book or essays that have really meant something to you and that you think people w- would really will really enjoy? I mean, they're all brilliant, I can see. They're all so um, different. Avanna, I'm interested in hearing what you say. You go first. Avanna, <laughs> what uh, have you liked in the book the most? I'm afraid to say I haven't actually got to read the whole thing because I'm, I'm doing Dancing with the Stars. And actually, sorry, little segue. I just was searching your name, Avanna, and you popped up dancing. And I was like, what the? I didn't uh, know you were on Dancing with the Stars in America. That's such a big I, deal. I, 
How's it going? It's it's good. It's like it's literally the most fun job ever. But sorry, I don't want to take attention from stuff. But no, like, no, no, go like, on. I'm just so I'm so enjoying it, but I'm also so sad I'm not a dancer because their lives are. <laughs> yeah. um, I hope you haven't slept with your cheated no. on your <laughs> girlfriend with your code. Is there a curse of was... Dancing with the Stars as well as a strictly curse? No, they're very professional here. And also, <laughs> they've all been doing it for several seasons. So some of them are actually married, some of the dancers. Yep. Yeah, so, so was I, the one who well, happened here, here uh, in Strictly, they were married anyway. Oh, right. Well, I think we're past all the drama Good. phase on Dancing yeah. Stars US. No, it's lovely and supportive. Great. Yeah. And how far along are you in it? I'm, uh, this is week four. We've, been, we've made it through three That's eliminations. brilliant. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. You must be right. good. I love Scarlett's opening piece because mm. like you, your piece, I haven't read them all, I will say, but your piece, like it was so honest and I so relate to what you said about like, you know, liking boys and, and feeling feeling guilty about that, feeling like all this, this conflict inside you and um, I was like, yeah, I, I felt that too. That's so nice. Thank you. Um, yeah. I love your piece. You were actually one of the first people to send their pieces in. Um, really? Yeah. Good, diligent was, Irish girl. I like it, Ivana. No. <laughs> um, but it was such a moment of hope for me and Holly, our editor, because I think we were just like, oh, my God, this is incredible. The book <laughs> might actually be good. <laughs> um, yeah, I love I love Ivana's. I love I really love Sertia's. I think it's really sweet and kind of very open about what it means to be a feminist. Um, I really love we got so all the royalties from the book are going to this amazing charity called Girl Up and four of their teenage advocates have written pieces for the book. Um, and I think when we asked them to do it, we were like, you know, this will be really nice and like they'll be really happy. And then they just sent in these incredible <laughs> pieces about ones about, you know, being the daughter of a single mum and what that taught her about feminism. And they're just they're really amazing ones about African feminism. So I really love those. Um, I really love Kira's piece. I think it's very raw and angry and Kira Knightley. Um, yeah. Yeah, Kira's one is, is, is interesting the reaction to it because she's she's making very valid points about the kind of um idea that women after childbirth or during childbirth that it's this sort of oh lovely thing and again like with the periods let's not talk about the really really awful parts which there yeah. are. And some people sort of thought that because she was mentioning Kate Middleton and how she appeared after having babies looking so well groomed that she was criticizing Kate Middleton and that wasn't very sisterly but actually I mean, so, what what Kira Knightley was saying was not that <laughs> She was saying that the reason uh, Kate had to appear like that is because she's in this sort of system that demands that she does, you know. I know. And if we want to talk about, like, pitting women against each other, mm. I mean, it's insane. Someone wrote a really incredible piece in The Guardian about... I read that, yeah. Yeah, just how it completely missed... That actually was the reverse of everything her piece was about. Um, but it was really so, interesting. Yeah, to, it's, it's really bad. interesting to see someone like Kira Knightley, who people probably have an idea of as some kind of, you know, idea of feminist, feminine perfection, you know, because yeah. she looks so pretty and she's all this. To actually, the way she went, went so raw into the bloodiness and the pain and the horror in some ways of, of childbirth was, I thought that was really brilliant of her Absolutely. to do that. And I think she was famous in a time when it was so hard on women and to be a woman of her age in the spotlight. And we basically never got to hear from her. We just kind of saw pretty pictures of her. Uh, and I think it's amazing what she said. And I haven't read Jamila DeMille's yet, but I, I just love her. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. What does she talk about in it? It's really great. It's amazing, actually. It's all the things she would tell to her son if she had a son about how to treat women. women. 
uh, and it's incredible. She's just the most amazing writer and activist. And, and Dolly yeah, Alderton is there too, who is also brilliant. Yeah, she's done a great one. Um, there, yeah, there's also lots of like amazing activists who've written really great pieces. And there's a this woman called Alama Rabbit, who's an amazing activist and is kind of one of my heroes. And her whole piece is about imposter syndrome, which like she's the person that I imagine of anyone not feeling imposter fit syndrome when it comes to feminism. And I think for me, at least her writing about having imposter syndrome made me realise that literally everyone has it. Brilliant. I mean, the proceeds are going to Girl Up, are they? Is that is that what you said? Yeah. That's yeah, fantastic. That's, that's Emma Watson's charity, isn't it? Or she's no, involved with it. Uh, I think maybe a bit. It's a part of the UN Foundation and her, he for she is her main campaign, oh, which is she, also yeah. part of UNF. So I think they're all a bit of a UN family, but um, it's really focused on young girls uh, and they do incredible work in across the world, kind of trying to do huge things like end FGM and end child marriage, but also train girls to talk to their politicians and kind of explain how they can actually make change themselves. Brilliant. And what, what's next for you both? So you're going to be in that Dancing with the Stars. I feel you're going to end up in the final, Ivana. That's what I'm thinking. I feel like that too. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and I love dancing. So that's great. And what what else yeah. have you got in the pipeline? Are you going to be doing more writing? Because you really should. Your piece is really wonderful. Thanks. I yeah, I actually was working on a book proposal before I got this, and that's the thing. Writing's the thing. Like I like, but I don't. I don't enjoy it the same way I enjoy acting and dancing. So whenever one of those comes along, it gets. It gets. Along. <laughs> <laughs> but it will eventually so just that and i have a, a vegan podcast that is also on hiatus what's Those it called it's called the chick peeps the chick it's peeps. really great i listen yeah. regularly and Sc- oh, <laughs> scarlet what are you up to then after this because this is going to take up a lot of your time for the next while i imagine yeah i think it's already been a bit mad um i i run this group called the pink protest which is like a feminist activist collective um and we do a lot of campaigns around young women so i think i'd love to turn a lot of what we've started with the book uh into some more campaigns that can actually make make a bit of change which would be great okay well listen i have to wish you both because this is going out on international day of the girl and i have to wish you a very happy international day of the girl (laughs) and also to ask you both if you can think about it what you wish for girls around the world and what you hope for them um for the future scarlet Uh, i'm going to come to you because i bet you've been thinking about this a lot (laughs) well it's a bit of a dark one but one of my main things is just to continue with all the amazing campaigning to end fgm because I think that is one of the biggest threats on young girls at the moment. Um, and it's so horrible. And Nimco Ali, who's also in the book, is doing amazing work around that. Uh, and I also just think to get rid of that shame, I think so much of being a young girl is about shame. And if we could extinguish that shame that so many people feel just around being a girl, um, I think that would be amazing. I think what you're doing here with the book is really part of that, because, you know, I... I wrote and spoke about my abortion and that was a a massive thing for lifting shame and I think reading your book Mm -hmm. it's like when you put names to things and when you say things out loud things that maybe you've been embarrassed or you've been worried about that they make you less than or that someone's going to criticise you when you finally get to the courage and strength to put that stuff out there it's actually so liberating and that you couldn't even imagine how liberating it is but it really is and hopefully the book is going to encourage other people to sort of give voice to the things that that they're thinking that are maybe that they think are shameful but are really not 
Um, and sorry. it's also so powerful for other people. Your piece about abortion, I think, was so important to so many women, especially at that time. Thanks, Scarlett. Mm. Um, Ivana, what about you? Hopes for girls around the world, hopes for yourself as well, maybe in your feminist journey. I have to say it yeah. like that. Feminist journey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say kind of what you were talking about earlier, about like, I, I, I hope that we all stop competing with each other, and which I think comes from like, a lack mindset mentality that there's not enough space for all of us, you know, there's not enough space for all of us to shine. And I, I, I just like even seeing a book like this where it's like all these women coming together and, 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 and raising their voice for a cause. And even so at, at the moment, me doing dance with the stars, I see where we're all shut off from each other. All the women we're, we're it's like ballroom's quite traditional. We're all dancing with men, you know, it's men, women pairings. And it's like, I kind of feel like people get competitive and it's like, I just want to open it up and for for us all to help each other, I'm kind of going... <laughs> No, I love it. Ivana, it's so true because it is there is room for everybody. And I think the the not room for everybody thing is a very uh, male way of looking at things because it's all about like who can step over the person and who can get end up on top. And I do think women maybe have a different way and a, a less hierarchical way and that people are can be allowed to have space and take up space um and we don't have to be competing. Totally. My um to borrow from my latest therapy session. My therapy <laughs> Something, um, which, which I was, I was honestly struggling with this on the show. It's like everyone's so amazing. I don't know what how to stand out or anything. And she said, um, real charisma comes from a, from holding space for other people to shine. And I think that's a real feminine trait where we have that love, that compassion, that ability, that generosity of spirit that maybe is not so present in men. And I think that's what I want. That's what I hope for women that we like become friends and <laughs> more and just embrace each other and let each other shine our light. It's corny as that sounds. Oh, I love that. It's not corny. I'm loving it too. This conversation has been so uplifting, I have to tell you both, because like I say, I'm 20 years older than you, so that feels like a long time, but I feel very connected and I feel like you're standing on the shoulders of other people and you're pushing this thing forward. You're creating a new way for new generations to understand themselves. And it's just, it just feels like it's getting better and better, even though there's, there is darkness and um, things like the FGM thing, it's it's so depressing and there's many things going on in the world that are awful. But on the other side of it, I think the last few years and the next few years are going, are just so incredible and so um, hopeful, I think, for women and girls around the world. Let's hope so. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, well, I do think so. And I think your book and all the other things that are being done by so many great people are, are taking, you know, are helping mm-hmm. everything. Um, so thank you very much for talking to us. Thanks for having us. That was Scarlett Curtis and Ivana Lynch and very impressive women and really inspiring to talk to them. And as I was saying to them, feeling a bit like an old one, you know, 20 years older than them. But I just find these days I learn so much from younger feminists and people who are, you know, looking at things a different way. So it's it's great to hear from um, all the generations. And yeah, I hope I don't sound like too much of an old fogey, but I really did enjoy that. Uh, the Women's Podcast is produced by myself, Roisin Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts and we do like a bit of praise. So go to iTunes, give us a review and also just tell all your friends about the women's podcast and get the word out there because, you know, it is quite special. Anyway, we'll talk to you next time. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. 
Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.